so we're finally doing it it's happening mm-hmm. what in the living hell <laughs> not gonna lie i thought that was a fart and it was really funny for a second what um what about it it's here it's mine love you he did he made a stupid fucking fart noise that's exactly what happened <laughs> it was a fart and i was just like okay i'm not gonna say about it. i'll just edit that out it happens that's fine that's fine yeah that's um the noise that haunts my dreams so, yeah. i'm not gonna lie uh i just don't say anything about anyone's farts because i definitely have that tammy from bob's burgers problem where if i laugh too hard i fart a little <laughs> And it's happened to me on, like, more than one occasion at work. And it's just just really embarrassing when I'm, like, standing there laughing about something. Ah, And then I fart. And I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) I can't be happy at all. (laughs) I can't be happy. I can't laugh because then I fart. I can't laugh too hard because then I pee. It's just why doesn't the rest of my body just work with me? I got to work on my kegels. I finally get my serotonin figured out and my bladder fails me. God, my bladder, my butthole. It's just not fair. They're revolting. What are you going to do? Okay. And with that. Let's get started. With that, I'll say I'm Runa, you're Riley, and this is Better in Theory. gosh okay welcome <laughs> hello this is this is the big one no oh, i mean it's is... only it's episode four but it's the big one for me <laughs> it's one of the big ones oh my gosh i'm so excited we were literally camping two weekends ago and mm-hmm. we were like sitting around the campfire and alan was like what's that story of those hikers that like all this happened and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we haven't, it wasn't on my list. It wasn't, I, know. I, I just, it never crossed my mind for a second there. Um, yeah. And Roz and Brad didn't know what it was. So I was like, perfect. Really? Sounds great. Yeah. I find that great, surprising. So. I feel yeah. like I've heard this one everywhere. Yeah. I guess it's mostly the stuff that we tend to listen to though. <laughs> That's true. You know what? That's so, true. Because I asked Steve soon. about it and he didn't yeah. know what it was either. So I guess that's fair. Yeah. It's like nearly 70 years ago now um, in like a yeah. faraway country. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. In a country but. that technically doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I guess that's fair. So you guys may have gathered that today uh, we are going to talk about the Dyatlov Pass incident. And is that how it's pronounced? Dyatlov? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. that, Or at least that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. My Russian is a little rusty. <laughs> <laughs> I actually listened to the uh, the book Dead Mountain, the untold true story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Um, oh. I did. It was only like a six-hour book. 
which when when you commute it's like not that long <laughs> yeah yeah not at all that's like um, three days yeah exactly um yeah. so it was really good it's written by Donnie Eichar and he also narrates it in audible so I I got a lot of my pronunciations from him and he like went to Russia did the whole thing so I'm going with his pronunciations of things perfect because it seems that sounds valid. great to me yeah yeah, yeah. Well, um, as I was telling you, I did not get much of a chance this week to do a ton of research on the theory portion of it. Um, You know, like I said, I'm pretty uh, familiar with the case, you know, heard about it on a lot of other podcasts and TV shows. Um, So I feel pretty comfortable with the events and with a few of the theories. Um, Especially the one that I think is probably the truth. And then, of course, the one that I like to imagine is the truth. Mm. Um, but um, it sounds like you have done much more research this week than I have been able to. So that is perfect for me. <laughs> to be fair, I listened to the book and then I, um, I basically deep dove into the BBC article. I don't know if you found that, oh. but that thing is incredible highly recommend just going to the bbc on the diala fast incident it is very thorough interesting i uh use trust yield wikipedia and a new york times article from yeah earlier this year so heck yeah those were the two i used yeah because it did recently come back into the news because you mm-hmm. know in 2020 they figured they had solved it which we will yep. discuss later but um, <laughs> I disagree Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah I I pretty heavily disagree on that one but we'll we'll see we'll lay okay. out some facts we'll lay out some theories and this is one this is like the whole reason I wanted to be on this podcast I want to know people's theories. Like, I really want to know <laughs> what you think happened because there's so many and there's like yeah. so many different things that could happen. I did write out um, the last chapter of the Dead Mountain book has basically a recreation of exactly what Donnie Eichar thinks. So I have mm-hmm. that written out and I'll go over that at the at the very end. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting and it is, it is a bit sad. So it's definitely Mm. a trigger warning on that one, but, um, yeah, it's very interesting look into something from somebody who's done so much research on it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this, this case has really taken over some people's lives. I mean, just really getting into the nitty gritty of it, trying to figure out exactly what happened you know some people are this way about like John Bonet Ramsey some people mm-hmm. get this way about like Madeline McCann and trying to figure out what happened in those cases and those really uh take up a lot of time for a lot of people and then this is one of the cases that I feel like takes up a lot of time for a lot of people especially online oh yeah I agree I agree especially because there is just a very vast amount of different theories that range heavily (laughs) dependent on what you think and what you know about Russia at the time or who you support, what you support. It's very interesting. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, a kind of a political 
uh, <clears throat> a sort of a political, not a political case, but maybe your theories can be kind of political depending on on where you stand on the Soviet Union. So for sure. Yeah, that comes up a couple of times. Definitely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, to get started, um, like I said, I did quite a bit of maybe not quite a bit. I did some research on the timeline. So um, if it's all right with you, I will start with a little bit of the beginning of the the timeline here, at least from what I know. Of course, I didn't listen to the audiobook, but um, at least according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Let's go, um, yeah. <laughs> starting on January 23rd, 1959, and this is Soviet Union, um, nine hikers from the Ural Polytechnical Institute left from a city called Sverdlovsk, which is now Yekaterinburg, um, and they were going on a skiing expedition in the Ural Mountains. This group was going to be led by an experienced hiker named Igor Dyatlov, and he was a 23-year-old student at the university. Uh, but to be fair, all members of the group, of the nine-person group, were at least grade two hikers, which means that they had significant experience when it came to crossing vast mileage uh, and being out in the snow and going skiing. And right. there were eight men and two women in the group. There was one other man who was supposed to join the group who ended up leaving the group because of some issues that he had. I read that he had a congenital heart defect um, and he also had some issues with his knees that um, caused him a little bit of pain before they were going to leave from Sverdlovsk. So he ended up not going on the trip with them. But their goal on this expedition was to reach Otorin Mountain. And their route was considered a grade three route, which was the most difficult that could be taken by an expedition. Um, right. And if they were if they were successful in completing it, they would all be moved up to a grade three hiker, which mm -hmm. would mean that they were then able to instruct others and take oh. their own uh, groups, group camping things. Interesting. So, like, trips. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Whatever they Like are. they were able to, yeah, to excursions. lead their own expeditions. Yeah. Excursions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Igor Dyatlov had told um, people back home that they were expected not to be back any later than February 12th. It was not going to take them longer than February 12th. And they started off on the 23rd of January. So it's going to be about three weeks. Um, they should have been back home. Right. January 31st, so eight days after they left uh, Sverdlovsk, the group reached a wooded valley and prepared to cross a mountain pass. And they were going to set up camp on the opposite side of the pass that night. But they had some bad snowstorms. It's February in a mountain in the Soviet Union. So um, they had bad snowstorms and very limited visibility and it caused the entire group to kind of lose their way a little bit and they ended up going in a more westward direction than they had meant to go and it was pointing them towards the top of the nearby mountain 
Do you know how to pronounce this one? Kolat Siakul? Yep. <laughs> no, I have no idea. <laughs> That's the one um, that means dead mounted in the local Monsi language. And that's where they ended up kind of accidentally heading up the slope of that mountain instead of heading towards Otorton and crossing this mountain pass. By the time they had realized that they were actually going in the wrong direction, instead of going through this pass, they were actually going up the slope of another mountain. They decided to just camp. It was already getting somewhat late. So rather than backtrack down the slope for a mile to a forested area at the bottom of the slope, they just decided they're going to camp on the side of the mountain, on this mountain slope, possibly to maintain the elevation that they had gained or just to practice slope camping. Um, so they would have some experience in that. But if they had gone back to the forested area about a mile behind them, it would have given them a little bit of protection from the snowstorm. Yeah. So not they weren't heard from again after that. Um, not that anyone heard from them on the 31st <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> they're in the middle of nowhere Fair. but i mean um they're <laughs> they had not returned by february 12th uh by the you know the date they were supposed to be back but not uncommon for expeditions to be you know a little bit longer than they said they were going to take um because of things like bad weather so you know, the people who were expecting them to come back didn't raise any alarm bells when the 12th rolled around and they weren't back. It actually took until the 20th of February, another eight days after they were supposed to be back, for a rescue group to be dispatched from the Ural Polytechnical Institute. And it was made up of teacher and student volunteers. And the whole reason that this group went out there was because the families of the hikers started to worry, of course, that they were not back yet. And eventually, the army and some police forces, uh, Soviet military and police, got involved in the search um, and brought out things like helicopters um, to try and search the area to look for them. February 26th, uh, six days after they started searching, they did discover the campsite on the mountain slope along unfortunately with the bodies of five of the hikers so the tent was empty partially covered in snow half torn down or fallen down uh, and it had seemingly been cut open from the inside and inside the tent the rescuing party also found pretty much all of their belongings, including some of their clothing and most of their shoes. And then they found footprints that led down to a wooded area a mile from the tent. I'm not sure if it's that same wooded area that they could have backtracked to, but I would assume mm -hmm. it's probably the same one or it's very close to it. Um, and the searchers found a pine tree that had the remains of a small fire underneath it and the first of the two bodies that they discovered 
of Doroshenko and Krivonoshenko, who were both barefoot and wearing only their underwear. The three others, Dyatlov, Kolmogorova, and Slobodan, um, were discovered another few thousand feet away from the tree, apparently discovered in poses that suggested they were trying to get back to the tent when they had had died. And they were all a couple of hundred meters from each other. Um, I think it was something like 300 meters, 600 meters, and 900 meters away from the tree. So um, suggesting that they had all kind of dropped off from the group as they were Mm -hmm. trying to hike back to the tent. The other four hikers weren't found until um, two months later, actually, on May 4th, in a deep ravine further in that wooded area, located under 13 feet of snow, and they were found in a stream of running water in a creek. And three of those hikers were actually wearing clothes from some of the other hikers who had apparently died first, suggesting that possibly the reason that they were uh, found in such a state of undress was because the survivors um, up until that point had taken some of their clothes off and started wearing them. The initial autopsies suggested that the first five hikers had died of hypothermia, and they actually started doing those autopsies as soon as they found the five bodies. Um, They did not wait until May when they found the other four. They started them right away. Um, Slobodin had a small skull fracture that the investigators did not think was a factor that led to his death. They were pretty certain that it was hypothermia that had killed him. But when they started to do the autopsies on the other four hikers that they found later on in May, they actually had fatal injuries, like uh, major skull and chest fractures, but nothing external. There were no wounds on the outside of their body that corresponded with the skull fractures or the chest fractures. So it suggested Mm -hmm. that these were high force, high pressure injuries. And I actually saw a quote, um, and I can't remember if it was a journalist or if it was from a book or if it was one of the investigators who said that it looked uh, similar to like a car accident, like it was something very high force, high speed, a lot of pressure to cause those kind of internal injuries, but nothing on the outside. And one of the um, details that causes quite a bit of a stir in this case is that these four also had postmortem soft tissue soft tissue damage uh, that the investigators attributed to the fact that they were found in running water in the stream. So Mm -hmm. particularly gross. A little bit of a warning here. Um, At least two of them were missing their eyeballs. One of them was missing their tongue and part of their lips. And another was missing their eyebrows. So Lots of soft tissue damage to the face and and uh, facial organs. Initial reports summarized that all nine of the hikers had died. There were no survivors. Six of them died of hypothermia. 
Three of them died of fatal injuries. The deaths were not caused by other humans, which was an important distinction to make because there were some local indigenous people, um, the Monsai people or Monsi people who lived um, in that area. And so they wanted to, um, the investigators wanted to make sure to point out that it was not suspected that the local indigenous people had anything to do with these deaths. All of the hikers had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Uh, all of them had seemingly left the tent of their own accord. It didn't seem like they had been forced out of the tent. And the te tent was cut from the inside in order for them to leave. And then another little point of contention, a little interesting point for a lot of people, is that there was some radiation detected on one of the hikers clothing um i didn't see that it was a significant amount of radiation i saw that it was uh, a relatively low amount but it was found on uh, a piece of clothing and the investigators concluded that it must have been an avalanche um that killed them so mm -hmm. lots of snow coming down the mountain at a very high speed uh, that crushed them. And that was the that was the official conclusion by um, the Soviet investigators. Yeah. Again, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because that is my like that for me. That's like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That's it. I oh, fully no. agree with the avalanche theory. Def not. Def not for me. I have um, <laughs> I have a lot of other theories that I think could be far more plausible before that one. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it really took off um, because I think the investigation was kind of uh, subdued. I don't know if subdued is the word that I'm looking for. It was kind of swept under the rug a little bit like yeah it was suppressed mm -hmm. suppressed yeah um yeah oh i also did see as well that there was a child um who was i think an 11 year old boy uh who claims to have been at the funeral of the yeah. hikers and said that their skin looked tan mm -hmm. yeah so that i can also explain that too <laughs> And see, yes. for me, I'm like, oh, okay, the avalanche theory supports that, in my opinion, too, because you get a lot of sunlight that bounces off the snow. And so I feel like that would very easily uh, explain away the the tan, or it could be the fanciful imagination of an 11-year-old boy, but I am not discounting his uh, his account at all. No, it's definitely not just his account. He was just the first, I think, one that when this became a big topic again, um, he was one of the like remaining survivors that had actually seen it with his own eyes. Oh, um, I see. And so I see. he, I think he was, um, he went to multiple of the funerals and mm -hmm. There was like discussion as to whether or not the government was allowing, quote unquote, allowing open caskets. Um, mm. And originally they were not allowed. So in some sources that I saw, the families only saw like a very quick peek of mm -hmm. like 
they had to beg to see the actual oh. body. Yeah. And some only saw a quick peek, but then in other sources it said that it was an open casket and there was uh-huh. like that little boy said that it was open casket, that he didn't have yeah. to sneak a peek, that it was just there. Yeah. Um, but it can also be explained by like regular decomposition and mummification based on where they oh, were placed okay. and how they uh-huh. were um, naturally like the four were under the snow on top of, mm-hmm. um, you know, a frozen river. So there was mm-hmm. like a few mm-hmm. different ways that they could mummify that unfortunately would make them look like that as well. Yeah. 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 Like I think about, um, I mean, I know that they were only in the snow for a couple of weeks, but you know, uh, let the ice man, you know, him, the like famous mummy right. with all of the skin preserved. And he also looked tanned because exactly. he was in the ice in the snow so yeah and so um I did I have like a lot of just little details so a ton of different things that I Mm -hmm. found based on both the book and then this BBC article which I absolutely loved Mm -hmm. um so a rundown of the hikers themselves so there were 10 originally they were all grad students like you said um Igor Dyatlov 23 years old leader. Um, he is the one who sets up the entire expedition. Mm-hmm. This is so sad. His mom tried to talk him out of it. He, oh, she no. was very concerned and was just like, I don't understand why you want to do this. And he just said, it's just one last time, mama, one last time. Oh and no. his little sister was like, it really was his last time. And it's just, oh, it's like the last thing. It was just awful. Oh, that's and so because like you said, their skin was, uh, discolored the only way that he was recognized and they were able to identify his body was from the gap in his teeth. Like it was a very distinguishing gap in his teeth. Yeah. Um, And they immediately knew that that was him, but it was very hard to recognize any of Uh them. Yeah. Based both on the discoloration and it also discolored their hair as well. So there was also that, that they had to Uh contend with. So the hikers, the rest of the hikers, he has this group of, like you said, grade two hikers, and they consisted mm-hmm. of so many Yuris. <laughs> Yuri was <laughs> yeah. a very, yes. very popular name. Do you know what Yuri is the, like, English equivalent of? Is it like, is it I like a don't. John? Like, does it mean like John? <laughs> oh, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, it I'm might. Gonna... If there's a solid chance. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google it just to find out, like, what Yuri actually uh, because if it's like, I don't know. It has to be like, sorry, you can or Michael so or like, yeah, yeah no, yeah, it absolutely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. The same with Alexander um, and Nikolai uh-huh. or Nicholas. Those were all over the place. Um. <laughs> it is apparently maybe George. Yes. It's oh. the Russian form of George. Okay. Apparently. That checks out. Sorry. I had to know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I, that no, never I, even occurred to me. <laughs> I had to know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. Okay. Way. Lots of juries and Alexanders. Yeah. And Nicholas. And Nicholas. Nicholas. Yes. Um, so we've got Yuri Doroshenko, who was previously an, one of the other hikers, Zena. They were dating previously, prior oh. to this trip. Um, And in one of the diary entries, she actually 
describes that is like her almost not coming on the trip because she was nervous if it would be awkward between them. Mm. She should have listened to her gut. I know. Poor thing. <laughs> she was adorable. Um, and then we have Yuri Kravonashenko. Mm-hmm. Um, we have everybody called her uh, Lueda. No. Hang on. One sec. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> um, Lyudmila. Yeah, but they call her... Oh, she had a nickname. Lueda. Yeah, Lueda. Lueda. Um, So everybody just, like, kind of sticks with Lueda. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. um, nicknames that they stick with. Yes, yeah. So Lueda, and they described her as stern and somewhat humorless, which is very... (laughs) That seems very mean. But she's also adorable. She has, like very um blonde hair very straight ponytails that are Mm -hmm. braided and she was part of the communist party and she was very into it so humorless seemed to go along with it (laughs) stereotypical soviet woman (laughs) yeah yeah um we had alexander kolevitov kolevitov Mm -hmm. i can't remember how he said that one um, and then we had Zena. I'm just going to stick mm-hmm. with Zena, who was very outgoing and popular. And she's the one who had been dating Doroshenko. Mm-hmm. Um, she was lovely. Everybody said she was just fun to be on the trip with. There's so many pictures of her where she's like making funny faces or she's doing <laughs> something adorable. She's just cute. Yeah. Um, we had it's or it's spelled Rustum, but Donnie Icar pronounced it rustic. So I'm not sure. Okay. And that's Rustam Slobodin. Slobodin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, we had Nicholas Thibault Brignoel. Noel. Mm-hmm. And they just called him, they stuck with Nicholas on that one. Okay, great. And then we have um, Zolotaryov. And Zolotaryov is a big point of contention. He mm. was 15 years older than all of the other hikers, at uh-huh. least 15 years older. And he was a last-minute add-on, only because Yuri Yudin had to drop out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that he dropped out due to – he had childhood arthritis and, like, yes. sciatic issues. And uh-huh. so that's what he had dropped out for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, like, a pretty big rumor in uh, Russia that he actually dropped out due to GI issues. They said that he had diarrhea, and he oh, that's why he no. had to drop out. And I was like, that's a bummer. If that's like what – you survived this, you already have survivor's guilt, and then that's the rumor. It's because <laughs> you had diarrhea. Because you had diarrhea. Oh, no. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. <laughs> so he was a last-minute add-on, and he was a veteran, and he had tattoos. And, like, all – Tattoos were mm. not common at that time, no. except for veterans, people who had been to war um, or who'd seen battle, like specifically seen battle. And he had two mm. tattoos. Mm. Interesting. But one of them was a beat, which I thought was hilariously Russian. <laughs> like the food? Yes. Yes. <laughs> hilariously Russian. I love that. Ooh. That's very cute. Watch that it probably means that he like, slaughtered a right. village or something no i'm not <laughs> it's probably got a take horrible that back. meaning take that back <laughs> yeah so um yuri yudin he dropped out at the last stop so basically they they leave on january 23rd to make their way 
to the past um, that mm-hmm. then the past that they end up um, expiring in is what becomes Dyatlov Pass. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a long time to get there. They they took a bus and then a truck. They were in the back of a truck. And then mm-hmm. finally, they were on a horse and sleigh to get to their destination. Oh, my God. Um, and it was a cross-country ski trip. So they're basically skiing a lot of this way as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Yuri Yudin turns around at the very last stop. Um, he actually goes back with the horse and the sleigh. And everybody else continues on. They mm-hmm. take... I think it's six days, five days until they get to the point where they camp on that slope. Yes. Um, Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't want to pass over this because this is something that was in the book that I had never heard before. And I thought it was very cute. So on their way there, the different stops that they had, one of them was like it, like a camp um, of like working men. I can't remember exactly what they were doing, but one of the stops was at a school and when they asked if they could stay on the school grounds as like a play, a safe place to stay for hikers, the mm-hmm. um, principal told them that they could as long as they came and talked to the school. Like if they Aww. would talk to the students about what it yeah. is to hike and like be outside in nature and stuff. So they got a free place to stay. And then they went and talked to, I think, a fourth grade class um, mm-hmm. about what it meant to be hiking and like what they were doing and about their trip. And the kids fell absolutely in love with Xena specifically. Aww. Like they adored her and they didn't want her to leave. And they asked her to stay. They begged her to stay. Um, and they almost got her to stay just one more night. Uh-huh. And so that's like also a, oh, what if they would have. Like what would have happened? They couldn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. They, there's no way um, that yeah. they could have done that. Um, so they do end up leaving and. After everything happens, that's that specific class, they all wrote letters to the Russian government asking like what happened to our friend oh, because they oh were no. so devastated. She had promised to come back and they loved her so much. Um, and they just never heard back. Like nobody ever responded to them, which oh, <laughs> so that's sad. so sad. It was so sad. Oh, those poor things. The suspicious things that were noted upon discovery. So mm-hmm. you mentioned some of them, like the tent being slashed from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was super orderly inside. Like nothing was in disarray at all. Mm-hmm. One of the weird things that I did not hear in the book, but I did hear in a few other sources, is that Zolotaryov brought his camera. Like yes. he didn't have any of his clothes on, but he brought his camera. He brought his camera with him, yeah. So, and it was set up on a tripod and it was set up to look up towards the mountain and towards the tent, um, uh-huh. but it was by itself. So that was mm. very strange. Mm-hmm. And they found um, that when they discovered the campsite, like it was right. set up that way. Oh, correct. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if they found it where exactly it was found, if it was closer mm-hmm. to the tent or if it was closer to Zolotaryov's body. I'm not sure. Um, like I said, it wasn't in every source. So yeah, yeah. I don't know the validity, but it's definitely mm-hmm. sure. a, a big theory because mm-hmm. the last photo um, on that role was a very strange photo. It was like a very dark picture with a couple of very bright lights, but it's mm-hmm. very fuzzy. You can't make anything out. It's just a kind of a spooky photo for uh-huh. what you know what happens. Sure. Yeah. Um, but there's also explanations for that. Apparently... 
in the 1950s, it was very common for the last photo in a roll to kind of glitch out like that. So oh, interesting. Could also be just that. <laughs> could just be shitty um, film. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, the other theory is that the rescue team, upon picking it up, may have set it off. And so mm. it's just like a picture of somebody's glove or something strange uh-huh. like that. The footprints that you noted, some the investigators stated that they were calm, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I guess they just didn't look frantic. Um, yeah. But they were described as being heading, descending the slope in a calm mm-hmm. fashion. They didn't mm-hmm. seem panicked. Um, so they aren't sure what, how that is juxtaposed with them cutting their way out of the tent. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the cedar tree, I, I had heard that it was a cedar tree that they were found under the first two, which was okay. Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Karevnoshenko. Uh-huh. I, I believe. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure. They were found severely underdressed. They had no shoes on. The tree was damaged. Um, they yep. had a fire that was in front of them. And unfortunately, trigger warning, they did have, because they were trying to warm themselves, they, and then they fell unconscious, they were mm-hmm. burned severely. Um, their clothing yep. and skin were burned from being mm-hmm. laying in the fire, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they did find in the cedar tree that somebody had very obviously climbed it. There was damage to the tree. There was flesh in some of the, um, bark and Hmm. their hands had also been damaged as well. So they knew Uh that they had tried, but they didn't know if it was to flee something, Mm -hmm. um, to try to look out to see if they could find the rest of their group, Uh um, or the theory that Donnie Icar goes with is that he had to climb the tree to get branches to start the fire, which oh, makes the fair. most sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Cause where else are you going to get branches for your fire? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause everything is covered in a very thick layer of snow. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not like they're just laying everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that was very strange. They weren't sure exactly what happened with that one. Um, more suspicious things that happened because there were just so many. Mm-hmm. Um, the four hikers that were found at the bottom of the small hill that had that uh, just a ton of impact that you were talking uh-huh. about, but no external wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it was described as an unknown compelling force is what killed mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. They they basically thought that it was a, a lot of people who stick to the UFO theory or some paranormal theory um, have said that there's no nothing on earth besides a car crash that could cause internal injuries like that. However, mm-hmm. they were at the bottom of a crevasse. Right. And yeah. they had fallen off of that crevasse like 24 yes. feet. <laughs> so that force could have definitely caused those injuries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next one is the radioactive clothing that you talked about. Mm-hmm. So it was on three pieces of clothing. It was two different hikers. Um, however, both of those hikers had previously worked in jobs where they could have come into contact with radioactive material on a okay. semi-regular basis. So mm-hmm. um, it could have just been their clothing. That's yeah. just what comes with it. Just leftover. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could have just been that 
because it was low levels of radioactivity, um, it could have been anything natural as well. There's levels of low radioactivity in most things, apparently. Mm -hmm. That was Mm -hmm. news to me, but that is something I learned. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, okay. So some hikers having other hikers clothing on, um, that was very suspicious. They weren't sure what was going on with that. And for one of them, I believe it was Lueda, I believe, had Mm -hmm. her feet wrapped in another hiker's clothing, Uh which seemed very suspicious at the time. Um, but later I'll go over Donnie's whole recreation and I think Mm -hmm. it explains it pretty well. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And I think the piece of clothing that her feet were wrapped in were also partially burned is what I had, I had read. They were partially burned. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which plays into what he thinks Mm -hmm. happened as well. Yeah. Um, So the one thing that is really strange is the government, like you said, tried to suppress this and they tried Mm -hmm. to suppress it on a lot of different levels. So one of them was the open casket thing, but the bigger one was where and how they could be buried in general. So initially the government said that they were going to be buried in a mass grave um, in a town that they weren't from. And their families were furious. Yeah. And so they they just said, if we wanted to visit our children, we couldn't. So mm-hmm. we we have to fight this. And they did. And they were finally able to have individual um, funerals. And that's how we, we end up seeing mm-hmm. that there were some open caskets. Um, but it was very strange that they tried that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they would do that. Mm-hmm. Um. There is, like you said, the, there. so the big, I think there's about five big theories that I was able to come across. Uh-huh. Um, so the first one is the government slash KGB having some, mm-hmm. something to do with it. Um, and that ties into the parachute mines testing. Did you see that? Well, so I've heard of, I have heard of the theory that there were some kind of tests going on in the area. Um like aerial bombs yeah um nothing along the lines of like a big ass nuclear bomb um right still something that emitted some kind of radiation that could also cause that kind of pressure so i did hear that that was there is a rumor about that the soviet bomb testing in the area exactly and that would also explain why if if suddenly the campers from inside the tent are hearing these insane explosions going on around them they would cut their way out of the tent to see what the heck was going on. Mm -hmm. If you get out and you see what's happening, you may just walk away in a calmer fashion, knowing that you're not in an immediate danger, but still not understanding what's exactly happening. Mm -hmm. So that's where people tend to think that that's one of the best theories. Um, And then also why the government would try to suppress anything at all. Um, They just don't want to be tied to it and it being their fault. Yeah. Um. The other big one, and this unfortunately came with a lot of racism at the time towards the Monsi people, but that it mm-hmm. was a Monsi tribe attack. Yeah. And I just don't understand it where that came from. Like, it's just yeah, the most absurd. Doesn't... No. They, he, were... they didn't have any wounds on their body, like, you know, external wounds. Uh, so no it other doesn't... footprints. No. <laughs> It doesn't jibe at all. There's no blood on the ground. Like, no, no, absolutely not. 
And the Mansi were like a notoriously peaceful people. Um, they had no mm-hmm. history of doing anything like that. They had no reason to do that. Um, yeah. And they were, I believe, like 60 miles away from them at the time. <laughs> it just, none of it made sense. Um, but it no. did come with a lot of Mansi people being actively, what's the word? I don't know. Targeted? Discriminated? I guess targeted. Yeah, yeah. there was, and not just from the government. However, I did see that there were multiple instances of like, couples being taken out of the Monsi tribe to be interrogated for weeks at a time mm. um gross which is just horrible so stuff like yeah. that that was happening as well yeah um like you said there was the avalanche theory which is mm. what they think solved it um yes. and there was an avalanche theory from back in 1959 and then there's a newer avalanche theory from 2020 mm. um both of which I don't fully understand the mechanics of. I'll be fully honest. I tried. Yeah, I watched a video. Yeah. It didn't. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> but if you're looking at photos of the campsite, if you're looking at photos of the hikers, um, how the tent was found, it wasn't buried. There weren't trees downed. There wasn't any sort of path that you could see that would suggest that there was an avalanche, mm-hmm. I guess, that... Mm-hmm. Um, besides the fact that they were on that slope that's the only thing like or that they or that they were at the bottom of that slope i suppose yeah um yeah. is what supports that idea mm-hmm. but i feel like it would you'd be covered buried in snow and not just like a light dusting is what they described all of the bodies as like having a light dusting of snow <laughs> yeah i so i this is the theory that i subscribe to like in reality because like I told Mm -hmm. you I have the theory that I'm like yeah this is probably what happened and then I have the theory that I'm like man I really wish that was the one um but (laughs) this is the one that I think actually happened um you know at least from the article that I read from that New York Times article the more recent one um just like you I don't know the physics of a fucking avalanche i am not a mountaineer i'm not an outdoorsy person i didn't i didn't do well in physics class either so um but the article at least from what i saw um suggested that a slab avalanche which is a very broad type of avalanche not the typical um avalanche that we think of um or at least that i think of when i think about an avalanche where it's like oh all of the snow is like sliding right. down in a very straight path uh, it's literally like a, a huge wide chunk of snow that just kind of breaks off of the snow that it's attached to above it um, because apparently the snow underneath it is very weak and so mm-hmm. it it just it like breaks off and that whole slab just kind of slides down all at once it doesn't apparently seem to pick up a lot of snow with it as it's going down the mountain it literally is just this one slab of snow sliding across the snow underneath it and just coming down uh to a stop um and one of the initial problems with the theory uh about the avalanche was the suggestion that um, the slope was not less than 30 degrees um, at right. a, an angle of 30 degrees, uh, because apparently slab avalanches have to be less than 
Uh, they occur on slopes that are less than an angle of 30 degrees. Mm -hmm. But apparently um, this more recent research from 2019 and 2020 um, did show uh, from another expedition, I believe it was a German uh research team that had gone out there um, from a German university and they did find that on the slope um, where the camp would have been located there was not a place that you would have been able to put your tent where at least a portion of the tent uh, was not sloped at less than 30 degrees so it was in fact parts of that slope did have the potential to cause that kind of slab avalanche Mm -hmm. um and, you know, I, I know that it was described as a light dusting, but at least when you see the pictures, um, and I also understand that there were, you know, snowstorms going on between February to to May. Um, right. When they were <laughs> yeah, discovered. it took two months yeah. to find everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when they initially found the camp, um, you know, the, the picture of the tent, the very famous picture uh, at least I think it was rather famous of the investigators looking over the kind of remains of the tent. Um, it is very clear that a portion of it is covered in snow, like quite, maybe not entirely buried, but definitely a portion of the tent is covered in snow. And that may not have been from an avalanche actually, at least in my opinion, from an avalanche actually hitting the tent. Mm. but. In my opinion, I think the sound of an avalanche, which is very loud, and if it's a very large amount of snow coming from much further up on the slope, maybe they heard, you know, they're all in the tent, it's nighttime, it's dark, maybe they heard the sound of the avalanche, and I I can't say for sure why they would have cut themselves out of their tent, mm-hmm. but I suppose if you're in a moment of panic, you hear this avalanche coming, you're an experienced skier and an experienced mountain hiker, and you think, oh my God, we have to get out of this tent right now. We're going to get covered by an avalanche. Uh, If you come out of your tent and then realize, oh, the avalanche stopped, you know, mile, maybe not miles, but hundreds of meters away from us. Well, now you're fucked because you have this ruined tent you can't you know you've got this huge huge tear in it so perhaps they tried to get back in the tent it was very cold they started to experience hypothermia and that's when the kind of paradoxical undressing began they started to leave the tent and and wander tried to set up a camp when they realized that they were really screwed the the four other hikers separated themselves and perhaps fell into the ravine that's at least my theory. Maybe not that they actually got crushed by an avalanche, but that they heard an avalanche occurring, a big slab avalanche, panicked, tried to rush out of the tent, realized that they had destroyed their tent, and then were just kind of stuck. That's my that that's my theory on it. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at the the slices in the tent, they're not really they're just large enough for people to get out. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's photos uh, from the camera from before on their way to um, the pass um, of, I believe it's Xena patching the tents. And it's like a, it was like a daily routine that they had to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So they had all the things to patch up the tents because I did see that as well, um, where they were 
and I thought that was super, I had never heard any other theory except for this one. And then the last one that I'll talk about in a second of them getting back into the tent at all. Like it was just never, nobody ever talked about that because you Mm -hmm. would just immediately theorize that they would try to get away as fast as they could, as far as they could, seeing as they cut themselves out. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I had seen that on this other one as well. And that is super interesting because mm-hmm. I had never considered that, that they could have, the effects of hypothermia could have started in the tent. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, I saw when I was, you know, thinking about this this week, um, because I had always thought of the avalanche theory and been like, that's probably it. Um, but I, I never considered them getting back in the tent either until um, I saw this TikTok uh, earlier this week of a very experienced hiker, camper survivalist, backpacker, whatever they're called, um, who was stuck in their tent. Uh, and I think it was in like Swedish Lapland or something mm. for something like three weeks because of just insane cold wind. Like they couldn't Oof, yeah. move because of this wind. And so it's this video from inside the tent where you can just see the tent just shaking. And it is terrifying because mm. these winds are so strong. And the person described uh, how they had to hunker down there until the the storm died down and it lasted for so fucking long but they had to patch their tent on a daily basis and right it also had never occurred to me like i was like i thought the same thing you would cut yourself out you'd run out but then kind mm-hmm. of putting together the fact that like their footsteps were very calm at right. least <laughs> according to what had been found you know it started the wheels going in my head of like oh well maybe they heard the avalanche, thought they were needing to get out immediately, realized it wasn't actually coming for them, got back into this tent with now this huge hole in it. And then they started to get hypothermic because their tent was destroyed at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be very interesting if that I, this is definitely one that it would be so good to just know what happens. Yes. Like, yes. Just, yeah one detail that could help would be so helpful mm-hmm. um but the in the last one that i saw which i'm hoping is the one that you're hoping it is is the yeti theory yeah <laughs> okay that's the Fantastic. one baby yeah you know me so well <laughs> that's the awesome. one <laughs> perfect that's what i was really i was like this sounds like it's got brenna written all over it right now. Oh, <laughs> you know it oh you know it so because i knew this was going to be your favorite theory. I did mm-hmm. not do a lot of research on this one. Um, <laughs> Don't leave I it up did... to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, basically, the idea is that there is a Russian version of a Yeti mm-hmm. um, that because they are in Siberia, there's this Yeti running around. And that is what attacked these hikers um that basically what happened is they heard the yeti from inside of their tent they realized or maybe saw like a shadow i'm not sure Mm -hmm. that it was near them and that's why they cut themselves out ran away they got attacked again no external (laughs) wounds i'm not sure um exactly how to justify that one but maybe maybe it's a pretty popular theory which is both my 
it's both my favorite thing in the world and the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Like, absolutely. I absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I love this theory. Like I said, you know me so well. I want to believe. Um, <laughs> I want to believe. Um, yeah. Not that I actually think it was a Yeti. Um, because, uh, thank you very much, both Yeti and Bigfoot are peaceful species. Um, they would have absolutely, (laughs) they would have no reason to attack a group of hikers. So, have you um, ever seen Monsters Inc.? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. He's got the yellow snow cones. Yes. Lemon. It's lemon. Lemon. Oh, that movie is gold. I will say. I will. My niece loves that movie. Um, a great one. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I um, I have heard that one as a potential theory about, uh, you know, for an explanation of all of this. I think it's totally bunk. Um, I wish it were true just because I would love <laughs> to be able to say that it was a Yeti who did it. But there were no Yeti footprints, you know. Right. And what would you, you gonna... want this on the Yeti's track record? Like, is this no, how you would not. want, you know, no. is this how you would want to learn that they're real? Not no. exactly. No. Because so. they killed Soviet hikers. No, I don't. It wasn't the Yeti. Don't besmirch the good name of of the Yeti family. Thank you. Samuel P. Yeti is a good man. <laughs> My buddy Sam, Sam Yeti, it was not him. <laughs> he would have told me we're very close. We're very close. <laughs> we talk about this a lot. Yeah. You know who he does blame? Sam blames the aliens. Sam blames UFOs. So true. And I'm sure, I'm sure that you have some information on the UFO theory. There's so many people (laughs) who think this one too. Listen, I'm not a non-believer. We're absolutely, there's no way we can be the only people in this universe or the only sentient beings. Yeah. However, I don't (laughs) believe that they had any part in this i will say i do think that there was some weird things happening because there are Mm -hmm. multiple examples of people coming forward saying that they saw something weird in the sky three lights why they think exactly the lights there's lights yes and there was also three little light sources in that last photo Mm -hmm. on zolotaryov's photo um Mm -hmm. role so strange I will say yeah. strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that's it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, but what I will say is that there were three soldiers and two hiking groups that reported this. So that that's a pretty solid amount of people. It didn't say how many people were in each hiking group, but mm-hmm. groups imply more than two people. So sure. Yeah. Um, you know, let's say yeah, three, three, and three. We're gonna go nine <laughs> people reporting it. That's pretty, you know, that's a lot of reports. Yeah, that is. Um, however, there was only one report on the actual day itself. So ah. everybody else's was a few days before, a few days after, um, and only one was that day. Mm-hmm. But still, that day, you know. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, and if you consider the fact that a lot of people think that aliens, uh tend to visit places on earth where um nuclear weaponry is being developed Bingo. and tested and then yeah. you know it's soviet russia and that's very in the cold high war impact. time in the mm-hmm. cold war yes 
they have these high impact injuries. There was some radiation. That's where I've seen a lot of people uh, tout this theory um, saying, you know, potentially it was aliens in mm-hmm. combination even with uh, nuclear testing in the area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and sure. Okay. <laughs> maybe. Like, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's maybe. a bit of a stretch, but it could. Stretchy one. Could be, you know. It could be. Um, but what my theory is, what I think probably happened, and it, I will say it's just because I listened to this book. So because it gave me the most information, that's what I'm going for. Yep. yep. Um, is Donnie Iker's recreation, or not recreation, recreation <laughs> of February 1st. He used everything from diary entries weather reports, expert opinions. He went and did this hike himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he spoke to Yuri Yudin, the, the one who left. Um, oh, and Yuri Yudin, I'm like so glad that um, we had him as a resource because he was a very important resource to have. I think he really humanized a lot of these, these hikers uh-huh. um, by reminding people that they really were just regular people yeah um and that it was very horrible that this happened to them um he was the one who had to identify all of their belongings and put Aww. them with who they were they belonged to yeah it was very sad um and i do think that i'm pretty sure yuri yudin subscribes to the theory that the government has something to do with this that it was like all government cover-up um i'm fairly certain and i think it has to do with the fact that one of the women i believe xena used to carry a hedgehog pendant or a hedgehog stuffed animal something Uh of a hedgehog Uh variety (laughs) um and she always had it with her and apparently that wasn't found and Mm -hmm. so they've his idea is that that was an identifier that they were trying to remove for whatever mm. reason to suppress this. Um, sure. But I read somewhere else that they did find it. It was just misidentified and put in somebody else's belongings. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. And I'm, I'm not... also not Yuri. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I wasn't alive when the cold war was going exactly. on. And, <laughs> You know, so I don't actually know anything. I don't know much about the Soviet Union. I do feel like, because uh, I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about the theory earlier that the Soviet Union, the government had something to do with it. Um, but, you know, I think just the fact that it was suppressed so heavily by the Soviet Union, at least in my mm-hmm. opinion, from what I, I have gathered about uh, the Soviet Union, is that this would have just looked really bad for them if like right. a group of nine grad students who this could have been great for for the Soviet Union if they had like gone off and done this amazing adventure but then they died and it was like oh god we don't want people to know about this cuz we want everyone to think that the Soviet Union is the greatest place on earth um right and they were all uh, engineering students or yeah. economic students mm-hmm. um Except for Zolotaryov, which, you know, is strange. very strange. And it is strange. <laughs> why was he there? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess I could see why people would say, like, 
oh, they're grad students. They all have to do with science and economics. Perhaps it mm-hmm. was to take them all out. Um, but then I have to wonder about why Zolotaryov um, didn't survive himself. You know, I would have thought exactly. That, you know, he probably yeah. wouldn't have. Uh, there would have been some kind of. Well, I don't know. It, it is the Soviet Union, so maybe they would have let him die too. I don't know. I don't know. You know. <laughs> Very true. Honestly, yeah. that. Could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um. I'm sorry. So. Um, Yes, I want to hear. I want to hear your the recreation and and your, your thoughts. <laughs> okay, so it's definitely um the when I was listening to this, it was it's very sad to listen to mm-hmm. because it's it's really like a recreation of their last moments. Um, so if you don't want to listen to it, you've already got enough information. Yes, yes. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Love you. Bye. <laughs> but for those who would like to hear it. Here's what he thinks happened. Um, So February 1st, the sky was overcast. There was no wind. Um, Mm -hmm. They had this really adorable thing that they did as a hiking group. And they had a mock newspaper. And (laughs) they would, they would like, they used it as a way, basically um, an on the go scrapbook. So Uh they would put like, inside jokes, references, um, Mm -hmm. anything that they wanted to keep in their minds, they would put in this like little mock newspaper. Um, So they drafted their issue. Um, They (laughs) packed up camp. They took photos. We have pictures of them um, that are just so cute. They're so excited. You can tell they're pumped. Um, They constructed their supply shelter of items So basically they had a lot of stuff that they brought with them that they would need on the way back, but they didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. need on the way up. So Uh they constructed a shelter that they could keep those items in. They headed out of the woods in the afternoon and they started climbing. Mm -hmm. Midday, there started to become a really heavy headwind Mm -hmm. and they, it slowed them down. Um, The storm started to worsen and they learned and they decided that they needed to make camp. Uh-huh. So at height, <laughs> no, what did, what, I think that might be a typo. Yes. <laughs> at Halachal, I know it's called Halachal, <laughs> is where they set up and they stopped. And that's that spot where they made camp is what that's okay. called. Um, uh-huh. So they set up the skis on the floor, like floorboards for insulation. Mm-hmm. Um, they used an axe handle as a tent support. They set up the ca- the canvas and the tent tarp. Um, these people are so impressive. I have to say, it is really amazing because not only would I not do this trip with the resources and gear that we have today. Oh, yeah, God, no. But in 1959, <laughs> yeah, they did not have a North face tent that can stand up to gale force winds. No. They did not have, um, they didn't even have insulated boots. They had boots that they then fashioned covers over them that oh. insulated them and yeah. kept them dry. They had regular jackets. They, their idea of more insulation was just putting on another layer. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it was intense. It yeah. was really a different time, and it's very impressive that they made mm-hmm. this trip at all, at all. Whew. Yeah. 
So it, yeah, their tent and their shelter was literally just a canvas and a tarp. Um, the entrance faced the south and it was a toggle entrance. So there was, I think, three or four toggles. Okay. Um, there. Wait a second. Yes. I'm not a camper. What the fuck is a toggle? <laughs> it's like a um it's kind of like a bead that looks just like my like your pinky okay it's like uh-huh. cylindrical and uh-huh. then you put it through the little thing like a little piece of um uh material like a little uh-huh. loop and then okay. it just holds it and it's like also oh, used okay. on jackets and stuff on jackets you know? gotcha yeah, yeah. yes okay now I know what you mean I have not heard so that it was described like... as a toggle but yeah yeah okay now I get it yeah <laughs> it's called a toggle yeah I believe yeah. it's called I'm pretty sure now I'm double I'm just... I'm not sure. no no I totally believe you I was just like oh yeah sure toggle three toggles yeah of course like... yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and that becomes important because it would be difficult to undo the toggles from mm-hmm. like because they're on the outside in a hurry which is oh, why yes. they may have needed to cut themselves out uh-huh. okay so Zena and Lueda are the first inside the two women of course mm-hmm. are the first mm-hmm. inside <laughs> yeah uh they start unpacking supplies rolling out blankets they block up any holes in the canvassing anything that um needs extra insulation they put a sheet above the door to block that they set up mm-hmm. the stove um Two of the men stay outside and they are securing the tent uh, in the case that there is gale force winds that come through. And I believe they use their tent poles for um, like securing everything, which I don't. Would that work? I'm not. It must have because it it seems to have worked, but it just doesn't in my mind seem like it would work. Sure. Um, You're asking the wrong person. I I don't fucking camp, so I have no idea. (laughs) I guess if you know, you you, they know what they're doing. I'm I'm giving it to you. They know absolutely what they're doing. Um, So they they all finally get into the tent. Um, Bobby Heat starts to help to warm them up. They some reports. So in his book, he says that they did not actually start a fire that night. Mm-hmm. Um, other places said that they did because there is also a theory that they got smoked out of their tent. Okay. okay. So yeah, exactly. It's not one of the yeah. big theories, but there is a theory. Um, but this book said that they did not start a fire that night. They had a small dinner of just like biscuits, um, things that didn't need to be heated up mm-hmm. and cold, hot chocolate. <laughs> which is sad <laughs> um but they just eat and then um one of them is tasked with the morning wake-up call they get everything ready the stove was made out of cast iron folded panels um okay. and so it was really really super tough to put together which is another uh-huh. reason why they don't think that they put it together Sure. This is just like a fact that I found. The record time to put together the stove, the record time, the fastest time, an hour and two minutes. Oh, fuck that. It's not even worth having it. Why? (laughs) Fucking dig a hole, start a fire. Uh huh. And that had to be heavy too if it's fucking cast iron. Cast iron folding pan. Yeah, absolutely not. That's what I'm saying. These people are built different they were not <laughs> i couldn't do this no, i couldn't absolutely not fuck no uh-uh. and 
one thing that I did see over and over again is that this is a time, because if you think in 1959 in America, two women would never have been on this expedition. Oh, absolutely not. But at this time in the Soviet Union, they were treated more equally. And sure. Zina and Lueda were treated fully equally in this team. Huh. Um, they were very highly regarded. So I huh. was, that was a, I was very proud yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I guess you have to carry your own weight. Cause like, you know, if you're out there and you can't actually help, then what the fuck is the point of you being there? And you're just a liability and they would not, yeah. you cannot no. be a liability out there. <laughs> uh uh-uh. No. So uh, basically they, just conserve wood because they aren't um they are moving away from the tree line like we discussed Mm -hmm. so they need to conserve wood so they just don't have a fire but some theories wonder were they okay at that point or is there no fire because they noticed that something was starting Mm, like they were already getting this foreboding feeling Mm -hmm. and he kind of thinks that that may be what's happening um, the bulk of what Donnie Eichar's theory is, is infrasound. So interesting. I was just yeah. about to ask you about that. <laughs> so that's what, um, this is where it all comes together. Okay. The tent starts to sway. The wind starts to pick up speed. The mm-hmm. volume of the wind becomes deafening because the mm-hmm. way that the slope and the mountain and where they were located the vortex that it would create would Mm -hmm. basically be like an F2 tornado. Okay. I don't know tornadoes, but that's a bad one. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big boy. (laughs) Yeah. So um, it starts to sound just like it would in an avalanche. Mm -hmm. You can start to hear it and it starts to become very, very loud. So that is something that could begin their their little spidey senses start to go Mm -hmm. off and they become Mm -hmm. very uneasy. Um, Then it gets worse and the vortexes or vortices, vortices um, (laughs) start to get closer and faster and they pick up speed. Mm -hmm. And that creates the sound that basically causes something similar to a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Um, And this would be how they start to become disoriented. Um, They are becoming anxious. Uh, Their heads start to pound. They become terrified all of a sudden and they don't really know Mm -hmm. of what. Uh So they cut themselves out of the tent. Some of them cut themselves out. Some of them crawl under the toggle. They are able to get Mm -hmm. like the bottom one out and they crawl under. Um, And again, this is just his theory, but continuing on with it, Um, they are confused and terrified because they get out of the tent and they can still hear it, but they don't see anything. So they're just Uh kind of wandering around. Also, there's like a storm, a pretty hefty storm happening at that time. Mm -hmm. So the theory is that their calm footsteps was because they were not sure where they were going. Um, they couldn't see in front of them. And so they were just trying to get away from whatever they thought was the threat Um, And they knew that the tree line would be the safest way. So they were heading down towards the tree line. So they flee. And as they make their way further down the mountain, they start to gain back their senses. Um, Mm -hmm. As the vortex is coming down the mountain, it loses speed the further down it gets. Um, And that would cause that particular vibration to stop. 
um, mm-hmm. and ceasing the panic and anxiety. Um, so then they would realize that they are screwed and that would cause a different kind of panic. Yes. Um, knowing that they can't see their tent, they don't know where the rest of their party is and they would mm-hmm. have to go uphill in a storm to even try to find those things, mm-hmm. which is really not possible. Um, not in that moment with that storm. Yeah. So they are broken into groups of four, three, and two. Mm-hmm. Um, the symptoms of hypothermia are already starting to kick in. They become further disoriented. And the group of two, which is Georgi and Dorshenko, they follow a path south over a frozen river. Um, and then they're obstructed from the tree cover. So they have to actually go around. And this is when they find the cedar tree and they start okay. their fire and they uh-huh. that's where they end up staying. He, when he's up in the tree trying to gather twigs and branches, they think that he actually lost his balance and this would be Doroshenko. Mm-hmm. Um, and he fell to the ground and was injured, which is why they weren't able to even move after trying to start a fire. They weren't able to do more to like make a larger fire. Uh-huh. Um, they also discuss, which... He called this a basic survival instinct. Okay. And I never would have thought of this. So Uh I don't know if I just have no survival instincts. But he was like, the basic survival instinct would be to light the tree on fire. And then you would have enough warmth to get through the night. And I was like, that would have literally never crossed my mind. It would, it would, (laughs) I can't even imagine that that would actually work. Like, that's the other thing. It's hard enough to light a log on fire. Yeah, and in the a middle whole of a tree? snowstorm. Yeah, I don't in know the about of a that. Snowstorm. And the only way they were able to start it at all was because it was a very well-known um, tip for hikers to sew matches into their clothing in ca- huh. in this exact moment. This is yeah. exactly yeah. what it was for. So they had matches sewn into their clothing and they were able to use little bits and pieces of cloth from their clothing to start uh-huh. the fire. Um, and that's how they, they ended up with a fire. Hmm. Um, but they do believe that he had fallen and hurt himself. Um, I wonder if that could explain the the small skull fracture that they found yes. that they didn't think caused his death, but could have been a exactly. factor. Would have definitely been disorienting enough or made him fall unconscious. There was Mm -hmm. also another theory that the heat from the fire actually caused their bodies to heat up, to warm up too quickly because they were in Uh the stages of being so cold that they warmed up too fast and it made them fall unconscious, which then led to their death. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a few different things that could have happened there. Mm -hmm. Then there was the group of four. Um, so this was who he describes as Koyev, uh, Lueda, Sasha, and Kolov- Kolovotov. Kolovatov. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, they headed the opposite direction. So one of them injured themselves and couldn't walk. Um, they also lost their flashlight. And then mm-hmm. while trying to make their way to the tree line, so they picked up, there was four of them, one injured. Mm-hmm. So two of them picked up their friend, and were trying to carry him to the tree line. Oh, and yeah. that's when they fell in 24 feet into this oh, crevasse. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, and fortunately, um, Kolovatov was not as injured as the rest of them. The mm-hmm. other three were immediately 
almost fatally injured. Um, they had severe fractures to their skulls. Um, mm -hmm. One said that their their pieces of his brain were pushed into his brain. Or, I mean, pieces yeah. of his skull were pushed into his brain. Uh huh. Um, so just really a massive force, which would come mm -hmm. with a twenty four foot fall. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is so sad, but they he th they think that Kolovatov being the least hurt because he fell on his friends mm -hmm. and had a cushion, um, he was now trying to help them. So he got mm -hmm. up, he spread out twigs and like bushes and things for them to lay on that would hopefully insulate them from the ground mm -hmm. a little bit while uh -huh. he tried to get help. Um, he did see a glow in the distance, which ended up being Yuri and Yuri, Yuri D and Yuri K uh -huh. up at the cedar tree. Uh -huh. So he made his way to them. That's when he found that they had passed away um, mm -hmm. already at the base of that tree. So he cut the warmest pieces of their clothing off of them. Mm -hmm. He placed their bodies in a very respectful way. And then he left um, and he went back to his friends that were in the crevasse. Um, Luedo was still technically alive. Uh -huh. So he wrapped her feet with the pieces of cloth that he had cut from the other pieces uh, of clothing. Mm -hmm. And Sasha is the only one who's still alive. So Kolovatov tried to carry him to the trees, but they collapsed and they were the ones who were found clutching each other. Uh -huh. um, so they were embracing each other while they fell into unconsciousness, which is so sad. That is um, sad. And then the other three were Igor, Rustic, and uh, Zina. And they were the ones that were closest to the tent who were very obviously making their way back to the mm -hmm. tent. Uh -huh. um, but they were all separated from each other. They were close to each other, but they were obviously distanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple um, hundred Igor, meters between the two of them. Right. Or yeah, exactly. Like up to 900 meters or mm -hmm. almost a thousand, something like that. Mm -hmm. Igor had died alone next to a birch mm -hmm. tree. Um, Rustic fell on, on stones and fractured his skull. And Zena fell as well, and she injured herself, but she does try to get back to the tent, and that is where she is found. Um, wow. And so that is what his theory is, is basically this infrasound caused them mm -hmm. to have irrational panic and anxiety that led to them fleeing, and then they just couldn't make their way back. Mm. That is very sad. I know. Isn't that horrible? Like, especially yeah. for, for Kolovotov, it's just... Ugh. So sad yeah. to especially have yeah. to see all of your friends like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I feel like that is very reasonable. I can definitely, I can definitely see that being a, being the reason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like it's one of, if you can figure out what it is that caused them to panic, mm -hmm. everything else here seems like it's likely what happened. Yes. Yeah. Whether or not it was the sound of the the tornadoes or uh -huh. a slab avalanche, whatever it was that they heard, or mm -hmm. the you know um, parachute mines, mm -hmm. whatever it was caused them to flee. But I think that after they are out of the tent, this is likely what happened. Yes. Yeah. It definitely yeah, seems to be agree. the most rational. Yeah. 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 But yeah. just horribly, horribly sad. Yeah, I mean, I you know when we when I hear these stories, um, I of course I tend to think of them in the kind of big like nebulous 
thought about what happened, you know, being so far removed from all of it. But when you break it down like that and you really think that it's dark, it's freezing outside, you're stumbling through the snow, you can't see where you're going, it's extremely loud. You're yeah, Mm -hmm. you're almost completely naked. You potentially don't even have shoes on. The absolute terror that they must have felt of just realizing like that's probably it like we are probably going to die that is just the most horrific thought to come out of this whole thing absolutely they are definitely smart enough to know that they are screwed yeah Um, and they are experienced enough to know that this is not good Mm -hmm. um so that's uh it's just awful yeah but it's so interesting (laughs) it's such an interesting thing to theorize about yeah yeah absolutely Hmm. well this one i think was our our biggest our deepest dive yet yeah definitely one of the most interesting ones for i've I've been so excited to do this (laughs) (laughs) so yay yeah uh yeah it was great this is a good one yeah, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you did way more research than I did because <laughs> <laughs> I was heavily relying on you. <laughs> I didn't even mean to, so I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. yeah the really book does. was just easy in there and I could listen to it. So, <laughs> hey, That's perfect. At least for the yeah, next three well. weeks until my class is done, then, uh, <laughs> then yeah. I'll be back on, back on track. Yeah. And in the meantime... Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Better in Theory Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Better underscore Theory, or send us an email at Better in Theory Pod at gmail.com. And please do contact us on all of those social meds. We definitely want to hear from you. Just like Riley was saying, we want to hear your theories on what happened to these nine unfortunate Soviet hikers. Um, If you are like me and believe that potentially the Yeti is being slandered, um, please send me an email and let me know exactly how you feel about it. All right. Well, Riley just disappeared um, from the recording. I have no idea where she dropped off to, but I'm going to sign off for the two of us. Reach out to us on social media and we will see you guys next week. Bye, guys.